In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yeah, we're back. Well, I guess uh, I'm back. Jesse's going to be joining me again soon, but um, we'll get him, we're going to be getting back to uh, two episodes per week starting now as things get ramped up towards Big Ten Media Days coming up about five weeks from now. Uh, we're going to start our position previews today, but with a little bit of a twist uh, over the next uh, five weeks. Going to be talking with some of the people that actually cover the team on a day-to-day basis, along with Jesse, obviously, and myself, that uh, have seen practice, have interacted with players all the time, to get their insight on a, a particular position each day. But we're also going to be learning more about those that actually cover the team as well, like kind of how they got here, who they are away from the job and, and everything in between. I thought it'd be great to get it going this week with someone that we haven't had on the show before. It is Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal. Colton, thank you very much for joining me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're going to be going into your third or fourth year on the beat yeah it doesn't feel like it but it is the fourth year because i jumped in after a couple of games in 2019 so yeah right. that's fourth year but it doesn't feel like it it's been kind of a whirlwind i bet uh obviously jumping into 2019 and then the pandemic and, and all that <laughs> right. right so um but it, yeah i'm sure time has flied for you i'd like to you know get kind of get some background on on who you are i mean obviously uh, uh people have seen the name maybe maybe don't know the story behind you know how you got here but uh, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Naperville, Illinois, and uh, went to school there until about junior high. And then we moved to Iowa, uh, out in the Quad Cities for uh, junior high and high school for me. So, uh, pretty standard, very much similar to Wisconsin. And like everywhere else I've lived in Wisconsin, it's very much that kind of smaller town. Naperville's a little bit bigger, but I'd say it's kind of small Madison. But uh, yeah, definitely kind of a normal Midwest upbringing. Yeah. So, and then you obviously played football in high school. Uh, were you any good? I was pretty good. I mean, being bigger <laughs> than everybody helped a lot. That was a, a lot of, a lot of the game was just being the biggest guy on the field. But uh, yeah, I played in high school and then played a couple of years, of uh, division three football at UW Platteville. Uh, and that was all fun. And like a lot of my closest friends from college for, from the, the football team and stuff. So really good experience there and gave me a lot of a good kind of, basis of knowledge to do this job, I feel like, in, in terms of understanding what the, the concepts of football are beyond just kind of here's the hole we're running to in high school football. So, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of good experiences in that career. Did you ever, growing up, I mean, how tall are you? For people that don't, how tall are you? I'm 6'5". So. You're 6'5". Yeah. Okay. It feels taller, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, that, that has a lot to do with me just being extremely short. But did you ever have dreams of playing like division one was that ever something that was on your mind like in high school being the size that you were oh god yeah yeah I mean until like senior year when I realized it wasn't going to happen I was like all right we got to figure out a little pivot here uh yeah d1 football was the goal and my brother was a all-american swimmer in high school and he got a scholarship so I was like all right I gotta live up to this like I gotta (laughs) be able to to get to d1 obviously didn't happen uh (laughs) I think it was going into my junior year, I went to a camp at Iowa State, and it was one of the ones, like, they do, like, essentially a mini combine along with the drills, and I just saw, like, 
oh boy, these numbers are not good. <laughs> this is not a weight room. There's a lot of running and jumping and things you're not good at, and this is not going to do well for you. So we started to think, all right, how do we get to a job that's around football, but not on the field? And we settled on writing. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you have to run a 40 that day? I did. What'd you run? Oh, uh, I think it was like a five, eight, something okay. disastrous. I mean, not that it was like I expected to run fast, but I was hoping it would be closer to five-ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it is, it's weird. Like growing up, like you always have dreams, like everyone does uh, dreams of it. But for me, I knew very early on that I was never going to be like a realistic goal. Like when you're a kid, like you're five or six, like, yeah, I want to be an NFL player. But by, for me, it was by like eight or nine. I knew like, no, that's probably not going to be the case. And I feel like that probably hit, me earlier than it does other people just because I don't know. I don't want to say I have self-awareness because I don't, but in that <laughs> sense, in that sense, I kind of did. And I knew like at 10 or 11 that I wanted to be in radio. Like I wanted to do radio shows. Uh, I, I loved, like I, I would have videos and I'm, I'm sure they're sitting around somewhere like of like making uh, demo tapes of mm. trying to be on the radio, like that type of stuff. Cause I also knew very early on, that I had a face for radio that I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be TV either for me. So like radio was kind of like where I wanted to be. And I always knew that. And I didn't know how I was going to get there. And, and everyone's path to this profession is winding. I think like, you just never know exactly how you're going to get there. Cause, and I think we're going to find that out here over the next five weeks as I talk to, you know, you and, and everybody else that you find your path to this profession and to this job jobs in different ways. Mm -hmm. When was the first time for you that you knew this is kind of what you wanted to do, that you wanted to be covering football? Was it just, uh, I want to be around sports and this is the best way to do it type of thing? It, that was a lot of it. Like growing up through school and everything, I was always really good at writing, like English class, anything you had to do writing. I was like in the group project, I was the guy that did the paper and the other people could go do the, the poster board or whatever. Yeah. And anytime there was like a project that was, you know, create some visual aid and do a bunch of things that everybody seemed to enjoy. I just knocked out the three or five page paper and turned it in the next day and I was done for a month. So that was kind of always how I was. And uh, it was my junior year. It was a college writing class. And my, or my teacher was uh, Mr. Larson. He was a super cool dude. And he just kind of led us to a free reign, like research paper. Um, and I just did on like NBA big men and like their, how they changed the game. And I just got to read and write about, you know, Shaq and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, like all the stuff I found super interesting. And I was like, Oh yeah, that is kind of a job. People do this uh, in the current sense. And I, obviously I grew up watching around the horn and PTI and stuff. I knew that's where those guys came from. So all that kind of came together. And by the time I graduated high school, I knew like, all right, I'm going to a school or I'm going to go to school to study journalism and, and writing and knew that this was going to be the path I wanted to get back to covering football. And when I was in like high school newspaper and even at my college paper, they wanted us to like rotate and, you know, learn to cover other things. I was like, hard pass, <laughs> not, not interested in anything else enough to do the work that's necessary uh, besides sports. So that's, uh, that's how we got here. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Like I went through the same thing. I, I only wrote for the paper like one summer uh, down at Whitewater and like we only put out like three up three um, three editions because it was summer and you know it was mm -hmm. like nobody was on campus so 
I only did that for, for one year and I didn't get to, and it wasn't sports. So mm. it, it sucked. Um, <laughs> so, right. Like but it, it is helpful, I think to learn some of that stuff, but it, it I hated it. And it was yeah. like, I, I just didn't want to do that, that aspect of it. But before we get further into the job, you've had some changes in your life recently, obviously, uh, not just a new job a few, you know, back in 2019, but you've, you've, you're, you're married now and you just had your first kid. How has that changed you? And, and how has that changed? Like how you approach this profession? Like, is it, has it changed that at all? Have you had to change how you do things? Um, we timed it out intentionally to not be during football season for, for my son to get born, not during football season. And thank God, because, uh, my willingness to jump in and do extra things around work is pretty low right now, just because I <laughs> would a rather be on the couch with my son, but then also have like, feel like it's an obligation to be on the couch with my son more often. But, um, I think just in general, the priority, I, I was always a work first person and I'm probably going to slip back into that in the fall once we get to the season, but, uh, it's definitely rearranged some priorities and things that I want to make sure I do every day. But um, I think it's going to be more telling in the fall and kind of during the season, like the finding out that balance. And I was telling you before we started recording, my wife and I both get to work at home, thankfully. So it won't be as hard as if we both had to go into an office every day. So we're thankful for that part, but we're still going to be a big adjustment when we get to the season and all the craziness there. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to hit that. And then where did you, did you meet your wife in college? No, actually, uh, we met in lacrosse. So my first job out of Platteville, uh, I was a news copy editor for the lacrosse Tribune. And boy, that was not fun. Because as <laughs> I mentioned, I don't have a real passion for much else outside of sports. Um, and reading, you know, AP wire copy and stuff about city council meetings and stuff every single day. Yeah, get, gets a little monotonous and repetitive. And uh, I did that for about a year. And then one of the reporters that was in the sports department left. And throughout that first year, when I was on news, I would help on sports because they were working later and had a bunch of calls coming in. So what I would do is do the desk stuff like reading copy and getting pages ready for the, the sports section while the reporters would do the handling the calls and all that stuff. But in that, they kind of sent me out on a couple of volleyball games for some of the smaller sports that they weren't, weren't always able to get to and kind of saw like, oh, yeah, this is kind of clearly what this guy would rather be doing. And. Well, when the spot opened up, I got that and uh, then was there for four more years after that. And I think it was in the second year as a sports reporter where I went and met my wife and um, all of them actually knew her and her family because her family was from a smaller town right outside of La Crosse called Black River Falls. And they were all super good at sports. Like her brothers all played at uh, UW La Crosse for football and her and her sister were really good at softball. So when I mentioned that I started dating her, they're like, oh yeah, we know them. So it was kind of funny in that regard. So yeah, been together ever since. I think it was, I'm bad at anniversaries. I know my marriage one, because I think that's the only one that matters now, but yes, it's been like five-ish years. Yes, I agree. Like I got married in March and uh, I'm, it's, it's really unfortunate because I'm, I'm already blanking on exactly the day. Not, <laughs> not like, I, I know it's one of two days. Uh, it's either the second or the third of March. I'll figure it out by, by next year for sure. Um, but no, going back to the, uh, of having to do that, that photo job, like I, my first radio job was in Beaver Dam and I had to, uh, I did covering all those things that you hated reading about, uh, the, the copy, <laughs> uh, like a uh, city council and County board and 
all that stuff. I did that for uh, five and a half years. And it wasn't like as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't fun. And mm-hmm. I didn't start actually covering sports until like three years into it. It was a great learning experience, but it's it's something that I'm I'm glad is is very far behind me. But I should probably mention like that uh, covering the city council and all those things is a very important part of the newspaper existing and kind of a, a lifeblood of it. It's just not yes. for me. <laughs> no, there are, there are a few things. I mean, I don't want to say a few things, but there it is so much more important. Yeah, um, no, it is. I agree. I'm with you. You know, within the structure of society that people are reporting on city council and county board and school board, especially yeah, what, what people's tax dollars are going to things of yes. that important nature, yeah. all that stuff, way more important, but not nearly as fun. Right. So right. we get to do the fun stuff. Uh, so when this job opened up in Madison or I should say in lacrosse, I think we talked about it in the spring. How long did you, did you cover the lacrosse football team? And it was, and you talked about it in the spring. It was, you kind of gave them coverage because we're standing there waiting for Paul Chris to talk one day after spring ball, after spring ball and a coach from lacrosse comes up and like gives you a big handshake. I think he may even give you a hug. Like mm-hmm. it was a kind of like an eye opening experience. Like you gave them coverage that most D three teams don't get. Yeah. I was super lucky that my editor, Jeff Brown in lacrosse knew that I wanted to get to you know cover in division one and hopefully the NFL one day. So he kind of just let me cover lacrosse football like it was a D one beat. So that meant like going to practice every day, which when you're talking about a three or four man team uh, on the desk, like that's three or four hours or two to three hours a day out of the office, not helping all of the stuff that needs to happen. It's just like sitting there taking notes. And I was super lucky they let me do that. And then after the first, so I covered lacrosse for four years. After the first year, they had a coaching change and they hired a guy named Mike Schmidt, who was an alum, uh, really re- reinvigorated their fan base. And it was a really fun time to be around that program because they're just, a lot of energy and not only did they want coverage, I mean, all D3 programs want coverage, you know that from your experience, but uh, they were just open to, you know, letting me talk to all the players, any players I wanted to each day throughout the week. So each, I, I truly felt like there was nobody that knew the lacrosse football team better than I did. And then that helped me break a lot of news and kind of just, like I said, treat it like it was a division one beat. And I uh, got to go to all their road games in the time where, you know, there's not a huge expense, you know, account just sitting out there to, to cover travel and stuff and uh, for papers of lacrosse's size. So I was really lucky that I was able to do all those things and get this experience. So then, as you we were kind of alluding to, when this job in Madison opened up, I presented myself as I've been doing what, you know, a guy like Jason Galloway was doing for the State Journal for lacrosse for four years, like apples to apples, same system, same corporation. So I was able to kind of get my foot in the door that way. When you were in lacrosse, did you ever had any doubt in your mind that like this was going to happen? Was there any any doubt in your mind that you could do what you do right now? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I applied for like 170 some odd jobs covering the <laughs> one. That's it. Covering, yeah, right. Covering a, at least a bigger beat. Uh, you know, in between that time, uh, I the only one that I got really close to was I got offered a job in Tennessee. Um, it was outside of Knoxville. So you covered Tennessee football, but you did a whole lot of other stuff and you did not get paid very much. And I'm like, I don't know. And I, I was going to get paid less than I got paid in lacrosse, which wasn't much anyway. But right. I was like, and the whole selling point was no state taxes. And I was like, I see my check every week. The state tax is not what's hurting me here. It's, right. it's the top number. It's the gross. <laughs> um, so 
that was the only time I got really close to leaving, but then it all kind of worked out that, um, you know, I'm doing all, I was doing all this work and I, I broke a somewhat big story in division three football world, uh, of lacrosse and other WIC schools getting whitewater's playbooks, um, before the season in 2018. So that kind of, I think got me at least a little bit more on the radar of some of the, the bigger jobs. And then this opened up that summer of 2019 after that. So, uh, th- all that stuff kind of happened within nine months of each other, that, that job offer that I turned down, breaking that story and then this job opening up. So, uh, I felt like it all kind of came together at the right time. So when you interviewed for this job, is it just how many people are in that, in that room? Yeah. So it was, it was broken up a little bit. I did about an hour to two hours, an hour and a half ish, uh, phone interview with, uh, the former, uh, sports editor here, uh, Greg Sprout, um, and then when I actually came to Madison, I met with Greg for a little while, but then I spent probably two hours with um, the two main editors at that time, uh, Terrell Franklin and John Smalley. Um, and it was really more about like, I, I think they, their mindset was, if you're in this room, Greg thinks you're a good writer and reporter and you can do that part of the job is kind of what else are you going to bring? And that's where I had to kind of really sell the, you know, knowing football, being able to add some different things in terms of film breakdowns and uh, other just kind of supplemental stuff to what's going to be in the paper every day. And that was kind of the selling point. And then I also had a, what I thought was a really informative lunch with Jim Polzine. I know you guys have had on the, the program many times here. So um, he kind of laid out what it's really like day to day covering the beat and kind of the mechanics of it all. That was really helpful. Not So I wasn't coming in totally blind uh, when I did end up getting the job. So it, it was a full day interview and I left it being like, if I don't get it, somebody that's somebody that is getting it has a wealth of experience and just wanted to move to Madison. It, that's <laughs> kind of where I was like, I know jumping from D3 to D1 isn't the easiest thing, especially if you're you know going from a guy like Galloway who came from you know Alabama covering the Crimson Tide and then came here. So um, I, my mindset was if they're going to hire somebody else, they probably just killed my resume. Not just not, not my work. They just <laughs> beat me on resume. Yeah, it's a I mean, it's a, it's a great job. Like, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, covering it's a passionate fan base. You're in the city that the team is in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a very important team to the city and it, it matters a lot. Uh, but you're saying that the, the lunch with Jim did not turn you off to the job. Cause like, I feel <laughs> like for me personally at times, like it, it may have turned me off to the job. It didn't. Cause he, I think what he <laughs> did was, cause I, I had this whole like packet of like a potential weekly, um, schedule that I was going to do and like stories I would do and all this other stuff that I would put out each week. And then he kind of looked over and was like, that's really good in theory. I think you'll be able to do that for a couple of months and then you'll like be, you know, dead in a ditch somewhere. Cause you'll just be so exhausted. Yeah. But he kind of just laid out like how, how you do each week and how UW kind of works with the media and gave me kind of the rundown on each of the coaches and you know that Paul Chris is always going to be pretty polite but he's not going to say a whole lot as everybody that watches the interview knows so kind of just let me know the the realities of it and I knew it was going to be a challenge I said that to Jim when we had lunch like I know that there are going to be things that kind of stop me in my tracks I just don't even know because I'm coming from a place like I said that wanted coverage I had every coach's number and I could get to them anytime and there's not that kind of barrier uh, where you only see him once, twice a week, maybe. But uh, there, so I knew there was going to be things that were challenging. But I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like this is what I want to do, and I'm, I wasn't going to, you know, let that kind of get in the way. Who have been some people that 
you've relied on to help you, not just in this job, but just in, in the career overall? Um, I'd say my wife, number one, because uh, she moved with me very quickly after I got the job when we were still just dating. And when she said that she wanted to move with me and everything, that's when I was like, all right, I should probably start ring shopping because she's making <laughs> a big life change for me. I should probably reciprocate that. Um, but so she's been, you know, just kind of the rock in that sense. Uh, but when you talk about professionally, I think Jim's always been a, a huge resource for me and um, that's been helpful. And obviously Tom Oates, who was the columnist before Jim, uh, we, we traveled that first season together because that was his last full-time season before he retired. Um, and then my, I mean, my friends who are all massive Badger fans, at least the Wisconsin based ones, uh, they've been supportive in their own way where they just rip my articles every time I post one on social media, but That's I know awesome. it's because they like love me and always just want to give me crap. So, uh, I've got a really good support system in that sense. What do you think has been the biggest challenge, uh, of this beat? I think one coming in when you're new, when you've got so many people that are established, like you, Jesse, Patricus, like people that have been here for a long time, like now our, our new teammate here at the state journal, Jay Kokorowski, he's been, you know, covering, I think it's, this is his 10th year, I believe 10th, ninth or 10th, uh, covering football. So I think, you mentioned it. This is a really good job. You're in a great city. I think that's why so many people stay as long as they do, because it is a good job and it's a great area to live. So I think just kind of figuring out where you can fit in and how you can kind of add your own, add value, I guess, to the beat in the sense of like, people are going to come to me for X, Y, or Z when, you know, maybe Jesse or, or Patricus have something else a little bit different that they, the people go to them for. It's difficult. And it's been especially difficult in 2020 you know, when you're doing everything on Zoom and everybody's getting the exact same, you know, from that aspect of it, from Wisconsin, like that's what you're getting from Wisconsin. That's what it's going to be. 2021 was a little bit different, obviously. Um, and I'm sure this year, hopefully we'll be back even more to what it was before, like the, the first year of 2019. It's just, it's difficult. And it's, I mean, it's obviously we're not the only ones dealing with it, um, but it, it's, a, it's a difficult part of the profession to go from what you had to what we had to from what you had to what we had and then you know hopefully back to to what it was before for sure and i thought so i mean when so 2019 is going on and i like i mentioned earlier i jumped in my first game in 2019 was the the michigan home game after that bye week and so obviously it's a it's a huge game and then wisconsin rolls them right and it's like there's all this momentum and it's looking like it's gonna be this awesome season and it was but when we get to the end of it my mindset was okay, now I need to start doing the work that I would have done in the summer if I would have gotten hired, like, you know, getting to know the SIDs a little bit better, like maybe getting a little bit of a meeting with Paul Christ where I'm not just asking him questions as a part of a, a group, right? Like get him to know him a little bit better. As that stuff's starting to get planned and everything's looking like it's going to come together, pandemic hits, and then that doesn't happen for like 18 months. So yeah, it, like you said, it's just been adjustment, adjustment, adjustment. And hopefully this season, we're a little bit closer to what we were in 19 and it's kind of as normal as I can get anymore. What's the most fun you've had during your time on the beat? That Rose Bowl in 2019 is pretty hard to beat. <laughs> I, I always tell my friends and stuff, I'm like, I think my first season's like peak Wisconsin. You're in the Big Ten Championship game. It's a competitive game. Then you go to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, that didn't go their way, but that's kind of like the, the pinnacle of a Wisconsin season. Um, and just, I'd never been to LA before and kind of just getting to go out to the ocean and see all that stuff and I, in terms of accommodations and helping the Roseville media people are amazing. So 
I just think that was probably the highlight. But in terms of like daily stuff, <clears throat> I just I love talking to the players. And I think one of the benefits of covering Wisconsin is that there's a ton of smart kids on this team. And you don't have the guys that are, you know, super standoffish, at least at least my experience in a few short years here. Um, but I just I love getting to know the, the players a little bit more and how open they are to sharing stories and kind of just being themselves, even though there's, you know, 20 or 15 ish cameras and recorders in their face as they're doing it. So uh, we're lucky in that sense. And it's a lot of fun. I figured you were going to talk about the media parties at, uh, at the Rose bowl. And then obviously media party was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the media, uh, had a good time that night. The infamous, yeah. The infamous Rose bowl media party that I, of all the things that I regret uh, during my time covering Wisconsin, missing that, is at the top of the list. Uh, Don't blame so, you. That was so, it. Was a night. <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, and we had our the, own little mini version of it at Top Golf in Vegas this year, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was going to say we we put together our own little media party this past year in Vegas, which was a lot of fun as well, and always a good time. And I that those are type of I mean those are I nobody wants to hear about those, but like that's the t- those are the type of things that I really look forward to, like for bowl games because mm-hmm. I mean bowl games, especially when it's the Las Vegas Bowl, there's not a ton around it to get excited about but uh the rose bowl obviously there is and uh, media parties whenever we can do it but let's get in let's get into a little bit of this uh transitioning i i told you i was going to keep you 25 minutes it's already been 25 minutes so i'm gonna awesome. <laughs> we'll get in we'll get into um the the position previews and i wanted to start with the quarterback spot because obviously that's the spot that everyone uh, is going to be focusing on because i think if you look at some of these other spots on offense, wide receiver, I think they've got some playmakers. I think they got a, a potential true number one receiver in Chimray DK. You've got a potential Heisman candidate in Braylon Allen in the backfield, an offensive line that on paper should be potentially the best since 2019. And, and you would hope maybe even a little bit better with some of the talent that they have. Tight ends, a little bit of a question mark, but it all comes back to Graham Mertz and the quarterback spot. You got to see, we both did, got to see every single uh 10 practices. Was it about 10 practices in the spring? When you saw him from Las Vegas bowl to spring, did you see any improvement from Graham? And can you, can you pinpoint anything? I think one thing that they were very kind of diligent on him during spring practice was getting, getting the ball out faster. Cause I think one of the things that Graham Mertz struggled with was it's kind of, it's kind of connected in, not just locking onto his first read for too long, but when that first read wasn't there, not getting off of it fast enough. So I think they kind of put it into his head. It's like, regardless of where you throw the ball, first read or not, ball's got to be out in three, three and a half seconds at most, right? Because I think that's where he got into a lot of trouble trying to hold on. And then when he would throw late, that's when the picks would happen. So I think that's one, one thing they really got him focused on. And not that he was perfect in spring practice. And I think he took some risks and, and I think he intentionally took some risks trying to figure out this new offense. And we saw some of the interceptions and things of that nature, but I think him getting the ball out quicker. And then I think we saw a better understanding of who he is as the quarterback where I don't, he's not the most accurate deep ball thrower. I think he's got the arm talent to get the ball down there, but just putting the ball in the places it needs to be just doesn't happen very consistently. So I think he's starting to learn. I can really only do that when it's one-on-one because when there's a safety over top and there's a chance that there's going to be second person there, that's going to be where the interception happens. That looks really bad where it's not just giving the receiver a chance. It's, oh, that ball's three or four yards away and 
the safety is just picking it off. So I think those two areas, getting it out faster and then knowing where he's, where, what his strengths are, you would, you would hope it's gotten there after two seasons of starting, but I think it's really starting to click a little bit more. And I think the offense is starting to tailor more of those things as opposed to what he could be. And that's what I was going to ask, follow up <laughs> on is they have this new offense to an extent. There's, there's certainly changes, right? There, we, mm. we saw those. I'm wondering if you saw any changes that can help him be better as a player, as opposed to trying to, because I think back in the day, when Paul Chris was the offensive coordinator from 2005 to 2011, his biggest strength, in addition to having some really, really good players, um, was the fact that he was able to mold an offense around those players as opposed to trying to stick those players into his offense. Like, and just, this is how we're going to do it, and that's what it's going to be. Did you see any signs of that in the spring here with with trying to do that with Graham, uh, with, with Bobby Ingram now as the offensive coordinator? I did. I think it come, came down to a couple of things. I think first, um, last year's offense, and I think this was a, just a, a critique you could have of the, the Chris slash Rudolph offense in the last few years. It was too dependent on a receiver winning one-on-one as opposed to scheming them open that they're going to eventually get open. It was, all right, we're going to get Danny Davis or we're going to get Quintess Cephas a few years ago. This person's going to be the one-on-one on this play, and they've got to win. And they, don't, they haven't had the consistent high-level talent at receiver to, to win enough of those battles. And even like when you're talking about Cephas, who is a, one of those high-level guys, how many contested catches did he make, right? Like he wasn't the guy that's going to burn you, and that was his biggest strength was that making those catches in the tight windows. So I think what we saw in the spring was this offense is going to do a better job of scheming guys open where there's going to be more separation just because where other receivers are and what the route combinations are are going to put more conflicts on linebackers, safeties, things of that nature. Because I think what we saw, especially against some of the better defenses, when you look at, you know, Northwestern in 2020, um, Indiana in 2020, Notre Dame last season, their safeties did not have to worry about behind them a lot of the times because a lot of the Chris slash Rudolph offense was just getting to the sticks with the passing game and then figuring it out from there. And I think what we saw in spring is going to be putting the safeties in situations where they have something behind them. They have something they have to worry about deep. <clears throat> and it's going to be a better athlete, I think, overall, because you mentioned some of the guys like DK, Marcus Allen, Skylar Bell. I think they've got Keontas Lewis, some guys that are going to challenge defenses more vertically and at least put give them give the safeties more to think about. So I think scheme-wise, it's going to get more receivers open. And then the thing I really liked was the screen game because – in the last few years, their screens have always been super long developing and too often they're going to the tight end and they've made sense when you had Jake Ferguson, you don't have that anymore. Um, so I, I think we saw some more bubble action. We saw some more slip screens from the running backs, just getting the ball out fast and not worrying so much that the offensive lineman's getting all the way in front, just getting the ball out fast with one or two, maybe one to two blockers in front and letting your backs kind of make a play off of that. I think that's going to help Graham Mertz and his numbers quite a bit. What is your confidence level in that statement? Because I, I because I feel like my confidence level in Graham is is still up there. Like I still think he can be a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been average, maybe even below. I, I don't know where you would put it. I'd say average at best for for much of his career. Uh, take especially if you take away the Illinois game, like for the most part. What is your confidence that he's actually going to be able to do what you just said in terms of improve his stat line, which obviously would help the offense. 
Yeah, a lot of it's going to come down to decision making, and that's something that you can only coach so much of. And you know, for as much, I think that both sides, player and you know, system scheme, deserve some blame last year for his struggles. I think you look at just the totality of the team, the, the both their offensive tackles struggling really hard out of the gate. I think zapped his confidence and it changed a lot of both what he was confident in doing and what the coaches were confident in calling. But all that being said, I think I'm with you that physically and, you know, being able to put the ball in different positions, Graham Mertz is one of the better quarterbacks that they've had in a long, long time. You know, you probably go back to Wilson in terms of just arm talent. Yep. It's just decision-making. And that's, I, I wrote it in my, my spring preview and my spring recap and everything like, winning or winning or doing poorly against you know your defense that's not hitting you and all that stuff like it doesn't really matter like we just have to see under live situations Graham Mertz do better I've got to think playing two full seasons or I guess one one and a half seasons at that with COVID and everything but one and a half seasons as a starter has made his decision making somewhat better I'm kind of in that same mode as you like talent wise it's there if it doesn't happen now I don't know when it happens because I don't think I think if this season's not that season where you see the the real huge strides, then you're probably looking at next year trying to find a new option because if it doesn't happen in three seasons, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I, is there? An, I mean, this is a a, a way back reference, but uh, Derek uh, David Carr, mm. as of you know, as a rookie got sacked, what, like 70 something times. And he was never the same quarterback after because he just, he was shell shocked. I think Mm -hmm. is is, is safe to say Graham took a lot of hits last year. I thought he stayed in there and he tried, but you look at what he is under pressure. It's the numbers are horrible. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, really bad. And I don't want to blame him completely for that. Obviously it's the offensive line, but at some point it gets into the head and can you overcome that? Yeah, I think what we saw late last season when the offensive line kind of got its rhythm back and the, obviously with Braylon Allen's emergence, that changed everything for that offense. Uh, just having that that kind of steadiness with him and Malusi going back and forth. Um, but I think what we saw was that when the offensive line got set, and I, I think the Iowa game is probably the best example of it, when he had protection, he can step up in the pocket, he can make the throws and, and do those things. And I think he was able to get over the fact that he was hit so much early, but it was then whenever there was pressure, as you mentioned, it just kind of the fundamentals go out the window and he kind of just, not that he's playing scared. I would never ascribe that to him because I think he's a tough kid, but I think he just was, okay, I'm trying not to get hit now. And that's, you can't succeed like that. And he did a good job. I think get like taking some hits when they were necessary. I think the, uh, the Arizona State bowl game is a great example of that, that a play over the middle of DK in the last uh, possession really helped save that game for him. Uh, but I think you mentioned it earlier, the offensive line on paper should be better. As long as I think the tackles figure it out, especially early in the season, not playing Penn State week one is going to help a lot. I think having that kind of runway into the season like a normal college football schedule is going to help. Um, I think that's going to let Graham at least get comfortable and not be as kind of light on his feet as he was middle of the season last year. Be honest, and, and we'll get to the offensive line here in a, in a few weeks, but I feel good about the left tackle spot, right tackle spot maybe 
Yeah, um, I mean, I'm with you. At least we know who's going to be at left tackle. There's yes. there's probably three names we could throw at right tackle right now, and they have, they have the same probability. Yes, exactly. Um, so Graham is obviously the starter. There's, in my mind, no real big chance that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, healthy Graham's a start. I'm with you. Yes, uh, because behind them, Chase Wolf, who continually, continually, continually in practice has his moments. I mean, mm-hmm. he has some amazing, amazing practices and throws like five or you know four or five touchdowns in a red zone period. And it's like, oh, okay, here we go. But then when he gets into a game, the same, you know, uh, freelancing to an extent gets him in trouble. And so I, I mean, if, if he has to play a ton of football, I think Wisconsin's not in great shape. Is that, is that fair to say in your mind? Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I think Wolf is kind of, he makes the same decision-making mistakes that Mertz does, but then doesn't have the arm talent behind it to make up for it. Cause there are times where Mertz will throw a ball that wasn't the right decision, but he just was able to get it in there fast enough or with enough accuracy that it works. I think of some of those plays over the middle, some of those dig routes I did really well with last year are examples of that. But Wolf's just a guy that doesn't have that in him physically. So then when the decision-making is not there, it becomes a disaster. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And then behind him, obviously, Deacon Hill, and, and I've joked with Jesse about this, is he'll make one throw and put a dent into the side of the wall and the McLean Center. And I think there are probably – quite a few dents from his balls. Um, and then the next time he'll, he'll come and he'll make just a, a perfect, perfect pass. And he's got, he's got the best, the biggest arm out of anybody on this team. He may have the biggest arm of any quarterback that I can recall at Wisconsin. And that's going back a ways. He's got, I mean, I, it's huge. It's a big arm. It's, and it can make all the throws. You're just not potentially always sure where that ball is going. Yeah. I, I think that was, I think that was the hope probably inside and outside of the program that a guy like Deacon Hill was going to be able to challenge Mertz this off season. Cause I think that's one thing that is tough when you're in, in Mertz's position. Cause after Jack Cohn left, he hasn't had anybody that really pushed him. Like he watches practice. He's in the film room. Like he knows he's clearly the best option. And I think we saw throughout last year, he can struggle pretty much as much as he wants. And as long as he's healthy, he's the quarterback. And that's not the same that of a, really any other position on this team. I feel like. There's nobody else that's a bona fide, doesn't matter what happens, you're the guy. And without with with Hill, all the talk coming out of uh, bowl prep practices was like, okay, physically this guy can do all these things. But then when you see him against number one, number two level uh, defensive players, it just, yeah, like you said, just putting dents in the wall, just the accuracy is not there. And, so, and there were a few times where the ball just comes out and it's like, there's not a receiver within five yards here. Like, what, what happened? And I think maybe if something clicks this summer for him and he can put a little bit of pressure on Mertz, I, I don't see that happening in all reality, but I think that would help. I think it would help both players if there was actually some competition there, but yeah, unfortunately Hill's just not there. And then, you know, I, I know because he's a somewhat local guy, Miles Burkett's going to get some attention. We saw probably what 12 plays of him under center in, in yeah. spring ball just did not get any uh, enough that we could even give a real analysis of what he's like. And that's, uh, that's actually when I wrote in my spring uh, recap, I'm like, Miles Burkett, TBD, because I have, <laughs> I, I have no clue. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. He may be something and he may not, but we just didn't see nearly enough of him. I did go though on record and saying, and I've said this on the show before, 
I think at some point in his career, Deacon Hill is going to be a starting quarterback. I think, I, think he, so yeah. I feel like he's going to be able to figure it out accuracy wise. Uh, he's just, I mean, the arm is just too good for them to, to give up on him. Like it's just, it's, it's not going to like, it's too good. It's too good. Cause when he's on, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, um, the how, few how, deep balls that we saw him on Cork. I mean, there were, I remember there was one. It was about sixty yards in the air, and that's almost the entire length of the field of the in, <laughs> of the indoor field. Yeah, and it just, that was, and it wasn't like he had to crow hop into it or really kind of throw his whole body into it. It was just normal looking throw, and then just went that far. I, I'm I'm totally with you on that. And it's not even. It's obviously the deep throws, but also like the the speed that he's able to put some on the passes that in small windows. Like, I think that is, that's another thing that, that really stands out for me. And sometimes you have to take a little bit off um, and not kill your guys that are five yards away. And that is something that comes with experience. But I, again, I, th- I think so, especially based on what we've seen recruiting wise for them quarterbacks. Like I, it's, to this point, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen them recruit anybody that, that like they haven't recruited over Deacon Hill at this nope. point. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out here in these next, this next class or two, but at, at this point, I'm still on that train. I believe uh, I said I was drunk on uh, on Deacon Hill's arm strength. I'm still I'm still pretty tipsy uh, on it, and uh, looking forward to seeing it coming up in August. Um, so that that's the quarterback preview, uh, Colton. I did want to get into just a few current event situations. Obviously, Badgers hired Mark D'Onofrio as their inside linebackers coach. Is that last week that that happened? Uh, maybe earlier. Yeah, I think officially last week. Or yeah, maybe, officially. Yeah, they, maybe they two take, weeks. Yeah, I don't they, know. They, 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 they get confusing when you have a kid. They all kind of blend together. I bet. And, it, and <laughs> even when you don't have a kid and it's summer and you don't like have a schedule that you have to follow every single week, like it's it's impossible to keep the days. Sometimes you're just I, I'm just here yearning for Friday. That's pretty much just what what, what <laughs> uh, especially in the summer, like when you don't have a game to cover on Saturday or Sunday. It's just like. Yes. Give me to the weekend. Um, but they did hire him and the state journal got the records of the, uh, the salaries and $300,000 for him, which is what you, it, which is what Bill Sheridan was also going to make, Yep. but the total salary pool. So you guys were able to pull how many of the coaches to this point? Was it eight? Right now, we have, now we have six of the 11, six of the 11 and already it's accounted for how much? Uh, 8.9. Two five, so about six or seventy five thousand dollars less than last season. So there's, so roughly, I mean, just just over half of of you've got the salaries of over just over half, and you have only seventy five thousand dollars. What does that say? Do you think? I I, well, I think one just when you get into the math of it, the numbers are going to jump up because they did hire an offensive coordinator as opposed to Chris being the head coach slash offensive coordinator last year. And that salary didn't really, I mean, it got dispersed, but not pooled into one person. Um, so when you have your offensive coordinator making making a million dollars as uh, Bobby Ingram is this year, that's going to jump your numbers up too. But I think you saw across the board, there's a, there was more, there were raises across the board here. When you look at Jim Leonard, another half a million dollars, uh, still criminally underpaid when you talk about the <laughs> production of this defense, but um Bob Bostad getting about 700,000 uh, as the offensive line coach and the run game coordinator and stuff. And Bobby April's gotten a raise as well. And uh, Ross Kalaji too. And those haven't even been released yet because uh, they, they come up their previous contract ended uh, June or is going to end June 30th. And then uh, by July one, it will be available. But yeah, I think you just saw You're seeing that there's 
more of an investment in the coaches' salaries, and that's always been a knock against Wisconsin and a rightful one. Like they they haven't been as willing to spend, I think, on the assistance as some other schools. But I think now that they're seeing, hey, like we've got arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country, um, you know, an offensive coordinator that we're giving a lot of responsibility. I think they're getting closer to where they need to be um, in terms of the coaches' salaries. Opinion uh, question for you. Bobby Ingram, as the offensive coordinator, what kind of impact do you think he has? And will people be able to notice uh, the difference? Yeah, it's a good question because I think schematically we saw some of the impact already because when we looked, when we were watching spring practices, there were actual four and five receiver sets and they haven't run those in about two years. <laughs> and now that could be a more of a statement on the talent they had at receiver uh, in the last few years. Uh, and I think that's probably a, a fair critique of that, but I think Ingram is going to bring more when they're going to pass. They're going to spread it out a little bit more. I think not having a, a tight end like Jake Ferguson, that's clearly your best receiving option um, is going to help a little bit in the sense that you want to get more of your receivers out there because there's more talent. But I think in terms of coming from the situation that he did in Baltimore, where they were a run first run heavy team, and they're going to have big, formations out there but they were still able to attack down the field there's a singular talent there in Lamar Jackson that's not really apples to apples here obviously but Slightly. yeah but understanding that the ways to attack a defense both up front with the run game and then challenging them deep to then kind of put them in a bind every play that's something that they haven't been able to do schematically in the last few years that I think he's going to be able to bring in. So maybe we don't see it in terms of, you know, huge bomb, you know, passing touchdowns, but the fact that a safety isn't always in the box, isn't always eight, nine men boxes against the Braille now. And that's something that will have a tangible effect that maybe we just don't see immediately. Do you think it's overrated that he hasn't called plays before? Um, Or, Or is it rated? I was, I think it's properly needed because I think that is an issue. Like I, I think, or I don't know, maybe issue is too strong of a word. It's a concern. Like Paul Christ has done not only the, the play calling aspect of it, but when you are play, calling plays, you go through a week knowing like, okay, play A is going to set up play B and then it's actually going to be the counter to play D. Like there's a whole lot of kind of interplay between what you call and I'm sure that's a lot of what Bobby Ingram's working on this summer is kind of just figuring out that flow. And we'll see, I think, in the first few weeks if they're if they're more repetitive and kind of have a smaller menu. That's kind of maybe Paul Christ and them kind of making it a little easier on Bobby Ingram. But those first three weeks are cool, but then you've got Ohio State and you've got to have everything open. You've got to kind of have everything at your disposal. So I think they've got a little bit of a runway to get him acclimated, but then you've got to really kind of figure it out because I think we mentioned, I mentioned Ohio state, but this schedule is going to test everything about this offense. And I think the defense, I don't think it's going to be as good as it was last year, but I think it's only going to be a little bit behind. So I think it's still going to be very good. So it's really going to be how good this offense is determines if you're back at the Las Vegas bowl, if you're back in an eight and four ish record, or if you're in Indianapolis at the end of the year, probably facing Ohio state again. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We'll get our a chance to talk with uh, Paul, Chris, and everybody else. Big Ten Media Day is coming up at the end of next month, and then fall camp starts uh, a few days after that. So it uh, should be interesting. Colton, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, I know I kept you way too long. So no, it's uh, good, man. good conversation. But, but, but I do appreciate you coming on. We'll have to, me and Jesse will have to get you back on during the season and catch up on everything that's happening with the Badgers. Um, so I do appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Appreciate it, man. All right, there he is. Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal. Appreciate his time. Going to be back later this week with uh, another episode with uh, his colleague, his his new colleague, Jake Kokorowski, uh, as we look at the, at his story, which is he's he's worked for every outlet, I'm pretty sure, in the market. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that and, and with running backs later this week. Until then, you've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.